So we're in 1 Timothy. We're in chapter 3. Jared preached last week. I'm sorry. He, at the beginning of his sermon, he said he wasn't preaching. He was gathering some words together to share with you. And uh, I think you did an incredible job. Thank you so much. Um, I think you honored the text. I think you honored Cross Life. I think you honored God. I think you did a great job. So thank you um, so much. We did preach out of order, though, which is not common um, for Cross Life. Um, we had been preaching on elders, which is at the, the beginning of First Timothy, verses 1 through 7. And then um, Jared picked up 14 through 15. And so I feel like I need to address the, well, why did we preach out of order? And it's because as I was preaching, we knew we were going to be out of town. Um, and we kind of map our sermons out. They're mapped out all the way through September, which will get us through the, the end of Timothy. But uh, as we're mapping it out, I knew we were going to be out of town. But to preach on elders... You also need to preach on deacons and their sister messages, especially in our modern church culture, because there is a confusion as to, well, what's an overseer, elder, deacon? Uh, I'm sorry, overseer, overseer elder, and, and then there's deacons. And how does that function? Because especially in Arkansas, nobody really talks about elders, but then we hear the word um, deacon a whole lot. And, and in many ways, you see some churches and you look at the deacons and you're like, oh, I want to be that. And at other times you hear of deacons and deacon boards, you're like, oh, why do they have that? And so there's this confusion over what's an elder, what's a deacon, and how do we do this? And this isn't Ricky's invention. This is something that we see in Scripture. So I hope what you hear at the end of this is not that this was some scholarly study where we went through and we just understood the text. I taught English for 11 years, have a master's in English. I was a writer for a while. Then I had kids, no time to write anymore, but I'm, I'm a literary guy. So that's why I'm highlighting. This isn't an academic study whenever we get up here to preach and we move through the passage. It's to understand rightly what God's Word says. God's Word is truth. It should sanctify us. It should be how we grow. It should revive us. The problem is, if we just preach the Word, I mean, I'm sorry, if we just read the words out loud and we don't explain what the words mean or, or understand it, then it, we can't live it out. And so our goal is to preach the Word, which means that we're teaching what it means in its original context, how we deal with it, and then we trust the Spirit to work within us. So all of that said, that's why we preach out of order. Um, I preached on elders. I feel strongly compelled. I need to preach on deacons because these are the two biblical offices that we are given in Scripture. Trustees, which churches have. It's not sinful, but they're not in Scripture. There's no criteria for them. Well, there are criteria for that we need to make sure we have as a healthy church are elders and deacons. And so we need to make sure that we don't only have people in name, but we have people in by qualification and that this is who they are. So we need this because we, as we gather, are gathering for God's glory. We are his bride. We are his church. We are his body. We need to make sure we do it the right way. All right. So we are in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 8 through 13. And as we read it, I'm asking that we really do humbly consider what the Bible teaches on the two offices of elders and deacons, because we live in an age where we've created our own criteria and skill sets for pastors. If they have the right leadership ability, the right oratory skills, well, then they can be the pastor. 
if they've been here for long enough and they give X amount of dollars, well, then they can be a deacon. That's kind of the mindset that works in the lives of churches. I want us to kind of step back and just go, okay, what is a deacon? Like, what does the Bible say a deacon is really supposed to be? And that we humbly consider that. 1 Timothy verses eight through, chapter 3, verses 8 through 13 say, Deacons likewise must be dignified, not double-tongued, not addicted to much wine, not greedy for dishonest gain. They must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. And let them also be tested first, then let them serve as deacons if they prove themselves blameless. Their wives likewise, is what the ESV says, and we're going to touch on that here in a little bit. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Let deacons each be the husband of one wife, managing their children and their own households well. For those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. So that's our passage for today. We're just going to start moving through it. But before we do, let's look at what a deacon is. And I think the best way to see what a deacon is is go all the way back. So hold your place there. We're going to be in Acts chapter 6 for a while. So Acts chapter 6. This is our first glimpse in the New Testament of what a deacon is. Although the term deacon is never used. Okay, So in Acts 6, the word deacon um, is never used. But this is what we go back to and say, okay, this is, this is what a deacon is. And so we're going to move through this passage with what we observe. And I, I think that uh, it sets a great context in for, okay, so these are the qualifications of a deacon. And then later we will discuss what's the difference in an elder and a deacon. And then the, the real reason that I wanted to be the one who kind of pulled these things together is because, okay, then as cross life now in the life of our church, because we're almost five years old, like what do we now as cross life do? Like, where are we in this? And then we will be reminded that Christ makes us sufficient whenever we feel we are absolutely insufficient, and then we will go live for His glory. So that's kind of our framework. Acts chapter 6, this is the first place we see the concept of a deacon. Verse 1, Now in these days, when the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint by the Hellenist arose against the Hebrews because their widows were being neglected in the daily distribution. And the twelve, this is the twelve apostles, they summoned the full number of the disciples. And they said, it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Therefore, brothers, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of the spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint to this duty. But we will, the apostles, we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. I love this. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, who we later see as the martyr. And Philip and Procurus and Nicanor and Timon. We're going to say Timon because Timon makes me think of liking. And Parmenas and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch. These they set before the apostles and they prayed and laid their hands on them. And the word of God continued to increase, and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem, and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Let's, let's just walk through and see the goodness of disciples in the life of the church. I'm sorry, of, of deacons in the life of the church. We're, what do we observe first? Number one, the number of disciples is growing because the gospel is being proclaimed. That's the first thing you've got to see. So as God's word goes out and as the body of Christ grows, now there's about to be an urgency. There's about to be a crisis of making sure that everything is done. 
Another thing we notice is that the 12, the 12 apostles are not able to meet the needs of all the believers. If you go back and, and you begin reading in Antioch, all of a sudden there's thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands upon thousands of believers immediately. And there's 12 apostles who are trying to proclaim the word. And they realize because there's complaints coming of, hey, the widows aren't getting taken care of. Hey, this isn't being done over here. This isn't being done over here. And the apostles realize they can't do it all. Look what they say. This is in verse 2. They say it is not right that we should give up preaching the word of God to serve tables. Go to verse 4. But we will devote ourselves to prayer and to the ministry of the word. Y'all, there's a, a quote typically attributed to Thomas Aquinas. It says, preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. The apostles, and, and, and let me say, there's some good in that. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. The idea is to point to we should constantly be doing, good, be doing good works. And as we do good works, it should reflect that we are Christians. But I'm also just going to very bluntly say, Aquinas is wrong and the apostles knew it. Faith comes by hearing. You and I just doing good works and not proclaiming the gospel and who God is, they can't believe in just our good works. They need to hear the gospel. Scripture says faith comes by hearing. The apostles know that. They're like, we could go serve tables, but if we go serve the tables, then we don't have time to be devoted to prayer and proclaiming the word. And if we don't proclaim the word, then his glory doesn't go out and salvation doesn't take effect. We can't stop. We're going to keep doing this. It's not that serving tables was beneath them. It's that proclaiming the word was of utmost importance to them. I think if they were in the congregation or in the gathering where the deacons were serving, I do truly believe that a healthy elder, a good elder, the apostles at that time would have no problem wiping and serving in that moment. But their time and their commitment was to make sure that the word went out and that they were prepared for it. So acquaintance, it's a great quote. Preach the gospel at all times. If necessary, use words. Good quote. Cross life. Preach the gospel at all times and at all times use all words and couple it with good works. You need good works and the good word to go out. That's what the apostles were saying. We want the good word to go out. We need the good works to come alongside it. And together we complement one another. And what is the result of that? Is that the church continues to increase. We're going to see that. The apostles were to be devoted to prayer, preaching, teaching the word. This is the task nowadays of elders and pastors. The apostles cannot be, quote, busied up with serving the tables. And caring for the widows properly, this is now the task of the deacons. And so there's a delineation here. We've got to have both going forward. Look at verse 3. Therefore, brothers, the apostle said, pick out, notice this, pick out from among you seven men of good repute, full of spirit and of wisdom, whom we will appoint this day. Where did the deacons come from? From within. You congregation, and we're going to come back to this in a moment. You congregation... Look amongst yourselves and choose men full of the Spirit, full of good works, who can serve as deacons. So the apostles pointed back to all the believers and said, you find men who are honorable among you and meet the right qualifications. They come from within. So what we don't do is we don't just appoint deacons. We recognize deacons. Much the same way that we do elders. I might go to someone and say, man... You'd be a great elder. I think you should consider this. But I can't make them. But whenever we do this, whenever elders and deacons are living according to the qualifications, then the church is going, 
Why is that person not a deacon? They rise from within. And so that's what we want to pay attention to. Look at the next verses. And they, I love this. And what they said pleased the whole gathering. And I'm not going to read all the names again. What they said pleased the whole gathering. Y'all, there's wisdom that settles upon all the believers. Because James 3.17, great verse. We know that in James we're told that if any man lacks wisdom, let him ask and God will give it freely without discernment. So that's what I prayed for this morning coming in. It's what I'm going to pray for going into work tomorrow. It's what I'm going to pray for going into work the next day. It's what I pray for as a husband. It's what I pray for as a pastor. You and I, we don't have enough wisdom on our own. Whenever we do, we're striving and we wear ourselves out. We're told to ask for wisdom and he will give it. James 3.17 says, But the wisdom from above is first pure and peaceable and gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And so I think that that's what we get a glimpse of whenever it says what they said pleased the congregation. There was such God-given wisdom that people looked around and they didn't go, oh, oh, you're, you're just not going to do this now? They said, oh, this is right. It was pure and peaceable and gentle and open to reason. It was easy to be entreated. It was sincere and not impartial. It was full of good fruits. Like It just resonates because whenever someone who loves the Lord speaks with the wisdom of the Lord, and then those who love the Lord, then there is peace and unity. And so I love that. Like this new office comes into play because the apostles trusted the wisdom of God and it was peaceable to everybody. Everybody just went, that makes sense. So they found seven men. Now, what was the result? Our last verse. Don't miss this. And the word of God continued to increase and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Y'all, what was the result Like if we're talking about deacons, what was the result of the deacons beginning to serve the temporal needs of the church so that the word could be proclaimed? Three things. The word of God increased. The disciples multiplied greatly. And the priest of Judaism began to convert to Christianity because they were operating under God's wisdom. So just to clarify real quick, while you turn to 1 Timothy, how many deacons right now does Cross Life have? Formally recognized deacons fulfilling that office? Zero. How many elders do we have right now? Two. I'm going to address all of that in a moment. But I'll tell you right now, it's good and healthy not to be quick to lay on hands or recognize the offices. It's good and healthy to trust the Lord to say, now is the time. And cross life is on that cusp. So we need to know, by God's sovereignty, as the church is growing... And he leads us to elders and to deacons. What does it say? So you're now back in 1 Timothy chapter 3. We saw how the idea of deacons actually began. Before we we really break into deacons, just to kind of pull it in line with those elders up there. Um, If you didn't get to hear the sermon about overseers, elders, and pastors on the front end, if you decide to listen, I'm sorry, it was one of my longest sermons. That was my record that day, I believe. I'm very passionate, though, about guarding the pulpit and making sure that we seek and understand the biblical qualifications of what a pastor should be. So you can go back and you can listen to the whole thing, but here's what I want you to get. If you go back up to that list, you will see that the qualifications for a pastor rely on his character and not his skill. 
That's the overarching thing you need to understand about the pastors, the overseers, and the elders. It's about character and not skill. And what happens is, as a church, and this isn't wrong. I mean, it's, it's a reality. It's just it's the business side of things, to be quite honest. Sometimes a church needs a pastor, and so they do a pastoral search. And they listen to the sermons and they bring them in in view of a call. There's nothing wrong or evil with any of that. I'm saying that whatever context God moves us to in life, we need to understand that the pastor should be known for his character, not seminary degrees, not visionary skills, not oratory skills. You need someone who is a man of character that meets those qualifications. And I hate saying that because I know that I'm having to like say that as the person who's saying, I hope I meet those qualifications for you. The only skill that's there, the only actual skill a pastor is supposed to have, according to the first seven verses and the qualifications of an elder, and then you go to Titus, the only skill is able to teach, not even able to preach. It may very well be that as Cross Life continues to grow and as we move in this direction, that not every elder will preach in the pulpit. They'll be leading men's ministry. They'll be leading Sunday school. They'll be leading D groups. They're the one that you call or your family calls and says, we need help and we need biblical counseling. We need someone who can teach the word to us in this dark moment. That's what an elder can do. They are ready in season and ready out of season to share the word. That's the only skill that's there. Why am I highlighting that for elders as we're about to talk about deacons? Because you need to understand that as we're talking about deacons, it's all about character. It's all about character. On your elders, it's about character with that one skill. Why? Because God cares about the character of His people, especially of His leaders. Therefore, what are the qualifications of a deacon? And we're just going to move through it, and I'm going to explain a few words, not as in-depth as we did for elders, because this one is, just kind of rolls right along. So here we go. Deacons, likewise, must be dignified. In other words, it's the exact same word, just so you know, for the elder that it says the elder must be above reproach. That's the exact same word. And I will say it in my Arkansanese, um, this Greek word, anekletos. It's the exact same word in both verses. The deacon must be above reproach. That's what dignified means. There's no blame that can be placed upon that deacon. He lives such an exemplary life that whenever people hear that he's a deacon, they don't go, really? Okay. Okay, didn't see that one coming, but all right, we'll, we'll go with that. It should just be, that makes sense. That's what that dignified above reproach. They're not perfect. None of us are. But man, they're striving to live as right as they can. They're not double-tongued, which means that they do not slander and they do not gossip. Man, y'all, I'm just, the reality is, let's call gossip what it is. It's sin. It's sin, it's sin, it's sin. Slander is malicious gossip, and it's sin, and it's sin, and it's sin. It is not loving to one another. It is not loving to Christ's church. And what's most dangerous is not that we gossip in the world, but that we gossip within the church. The deacon cannot be involved in any of that. He is not addicted to much wine. Y'all need to, not addicted to much wine. This is not a prohibition against wine entirely, but it is a call for moderation. I also, you should just jot down Romans 14, verses 13 through 16. It's a longer passage. So it says he's not addicted to much wine. So it's not a prohibition. It's a call for moderation. I'm also going to say it's a call for consideration, especially in the South where we live. 
you need to consider Romans 14, verses 13 through 16, which say, Therefore, let, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing is unclean in itself. You hear that, right? Nothing is in, unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it is unclean. Therefore, verse 15, for if your brother is grieved by what you eat, I would say here or drink, you are no longer walking in love. By what you eat, drink works here, do not destroy the one for whom Christ dies. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken of as evil. So there's that idea. It's not a prohibition. It is a, it is a call for moderation. The deacon cannot be a drunkard. Is what is a good translation. However, I would say that those who are elders, pastors, deacons, leaders in the church need to understand it's also a call for consideration. How do others perceive this? Oh, well, I've been given the freedom to do whatever. Oh, read Corinthians in. Corinthians speaks to that. We have been given freedom, but it does not give us the freedom to... Um, to press our freedom on others or to assume that they're okay with it. So that needs to be put out there. It's a call for moderation. Next one, they're not greedy for dishonest gain. This could be for money, that's the first thought, or for power. Trust me, those who are greedy for money or for power, it will be evident. They seek positions for their own self, and this absolutely can happen in the church. Well, you know, I'm a deacon. You know, so. And so they love the title of deacon. They're not humbled by the position. They love that position. I'm a deacon. I'm an elder. This is what I get. To. I'm the pastor of this church. Anytime a leader in the church glories in their position, they're not glorying in Christ. So they're not greedy for dishonest gain. It's not for their own selfish purposes. Verse 9. This person must hold the mystery of the faith with a clear conscience. In other words, just to simplify, they hold to biblical doctrine. It's in the Bible. It's clear. This is Christian doctrine. I'm going to hold to it with a clear conscience. It goes all the way back up to them being blameless. They know the word. They love the word. They live the word. They're saturated in it. They hold to the faith. So Paul would use this word, the mystery of the faith, and it's what we're going to end with. And it's what I think that Jared did a great job like building up to. But we're going to look at that term mystery of the faith is really astounding for all of us. It really, the mystery of the faith is what we all hold, but the deacon above everybody else must hold to the doctrine. They should be someone that though they're not teaching, though they're not preaching, you know that whenever you sit down with them, you're not going to hear heresy or something really shallow and fragile. You know that they hold to true Christian doctrine and you can trust it. Then it says, let them be tested first. And then let them serve as deacons. So there's this testing period that has to happen. And they can be named a deacon. Look at the last five words. If, I'm sorry, six, five to six words. If they prove themselves blameless. So let's just say, because Jared's right here. Like, let's just say that Jared is someone that the church said, hey, we want Jared to be a deacon. We think Jared would be a great deacon. We're like, okay, Jared, start doing deacon things. And we're all watching we're not doing it like in an, uh, like a malicious way. We're just seeing what the pattern of his life is. Is he, is he fulfilling these things? Yeah, I think that's what it's supposed to look like. 
I don't think that it has to be this formal investigation where, oh, Brownie, you want to be, okay, Brownie, come in. I need you to talk about the different millennial views of Christ's return, and we're just going to kind of sit here as a panel before we ordain you. I don't think you have to do that. I do think that you should know their faith. But here's the thing, y'all. So much more complicated than we've ever made it. They arise from within. You know their doctrine. You know the pattern of their life. You know their character because you've been walking life alongside them. And so I think it's good to have those conversations of, tell me about the gospel. Tell me what God is doing in your life right now by the work of his Holy Spirit. You need to have that that peace of mind. But I also think that because deacons are really the hands and the feet and meeting the temporal needs, I think that you already see them doing the deacon things. They're being tested and they can be disqualified. Can absolutely be disqualified. That's why it says, let them serve and let them be tested. Then let them serve if they prove themselves blameless. Then they can be a deacon. And oh, verse 11, we're going to slow down here. This is a fun one. Okay. Their wives likewise must be dignified, not slanders, but sober-minded, faithful in all things. Why is this the fun one? Two questions I'm going to address. Is this referring to the wife of the deacon or to women who are to serve as deacons? I'll show you why we're going to talk about that here in a second. And two, we do need to discuss the importance of the wife in the deacon's ministry. Why are we going to ask if this is referring to female deacons? Listen to the... Well, we've already heard the ESV, their wives is how it translates it. NIV, in the same way, the women are. The King James Version, even so must their wives be. New American Standard, women must likewise be. ESV, their wives likewise must be. Is it their wives or is it women? What if both are really valid at this point? That's, that's, what if both are valid? Okay, here's what you need to know. The word there that we've put into our translations is not in the original text. That possessive pronoun there is not in the original text. Therefore, it could refer to their wives and all the criteria are fitting. Or it could refer to women who were serving as deacons called deaconesses. It could be both. The expositor's commentary, which is a really solid, they go back to the, the language structure and the sentence structure of the original text. It says, on the whole, women deacons is to be preferred for several reasons. Here's four of them. The absence of qualifications for the overseer's wives. It doesn't talk about um, the, the wives of the overseers. Up there it refers to the, the household. Number two, but women are highlighted in deacons. Number two, the phrase in the same way, indicating an office similar to the one previously mentioned, which is the deacon. Number three, the parallel sentence structure and similar characteristics in verses eight and 11. And ver or, I'm sorry, in reason four, the absence of the qualifier such as there in the Greek. If we go back to the original language and what it really said, it never said there. It used a word that could be women or wives, and we don't know. Romans 16.1 is where I've rested for years. This is one of those where some people, if I say, I'm, look, I'm just being biblical, they're like, oh, you're too radical right now because we're in the South. Can't do that. Romans 16.1, you should note it. Paul is writing and he says, I commend to you your sister Phoebe, a servant of the church at Centuria. The term there translated servant is the exact same word for deacon. Why didn't he use a different word? Because there was no word deaconesses at the time. 
He literally said, I commend to you, your sister Phoebe, a deacon at the church, a servant at the church. So where do I rest? I will clearly say women cannot serve as elders or overseers, as pastors, according to the qualifications we see in the Bible. However, the ministry of the deacon, I believe, can be held by, by both men and women who biblically are qualified to do that. I've held this for a while. It's fitting with the scripture. But what if you say, but is it, is it a deaconess or is it a wife? I'm saying, I think that both are fitting. I think that whenever you have a deacon who meets the qualifications, you most absolutely should have a wife who is complimenting and fulfilling that ministry alongside him anyway. doesn't mean that because he's a deacon, she's a deaconess, but it means that they complement one another in such a way. All right, notice. So I'm just going to say, Cross life, what is the character of the deaconess or the wife of the deacon? It doesn't matter where we go. We need to understand this. There are criteria, qualifications for the wife or the, for the female deaconess. She must be dignified. That is, she's above reproach. There is no blame that can be laid upon her. There's no consideration in how she acts or speaks or relates to others. She is above reproach. She is not a slanderer. She does not gossip. She does not maliciously gossip or slander anyone either. She is sober-minded. That means that she's clear-headed, means that she is temperate, and that she is self-controlled. And she is faithful in all things. Other translations say thoroughly trustworthy in all things. When you think of her, you think that's the person I can trust because they're faithful. If she says she's going to do it, she's going to do it. If she says she's going to keep it, she's going to keep it. I know I can go to this person and I can put my full trust in them because look at the pattern of their life. We're not going to split over, is it their wife or the deaconess? We're just going to say, here's what Scripture says. In the original, it says women. In most of our translations, it says their wives. I think that that's one where for the role of a deacon, there can be much grace. For the role of an elder, it's very precise. That is a role for the godly men of the church to fulfill. Okay, and then it says, verse 12, let the deacons be the husband of one wife, managing their children in their own households well. I will refer you back to the Sermon on Elders. I'm not going to do that whole thing again, but they need to manage their own household well. Go back. I can also send you my notes if you don't want to listen to it. Verse 13, those who serve well, this is what you need to hear, they those who serve well as deacons gain a good standing for themselves and also great confidence in the faith that is in Christ Jesus. You know, here's something that is good and amazing. That when the deacons serve well, by doing what God has called them to do, they've established a good reputation for themselves. This idea that I don't care what people think about me, I am who I am, this is just me, that's not a biblical understanding of who you are. The Bible calls us to have a good reputation, a good name, to be of good rapport. It's favor of the Lord that people think well of us. We are called to have that. And a deacon who serves well gains that. And they also gain confidence in the faith. You know why? Because when we're called to do what God has called us to do, He strengthens our faith in it. So that's, that's what the qualifications of a deacon are. The next question is, okay, you've laid that out. Then what's the difference in an elder and a deacon? I think it's, I summarize it in this way. I don't know if I stole it from somebody or I don't know if it's just how I always understood it. Either way, if you quote this, then you just need to put a question mark as to who said it so that, you know, you don't lie also because there's a good chance I stole it. Okay, but I like this way. An elder serves by leading 
and a deacon leads by serving. It's the two sides. An elder serves the church because they are the first servants of the church. They serve by leading. Their leadership is their service to the church. <clears throat> a deacon leads by serving. So elders and pastors, they serve by leading. They are the overseers of the church. They are the ones, the elders of the church, the pastors are the ones who bear ultimate responsibility for the guidance of the church, the health of the church, and who will one day, we will give an account for your souls to God. That is a weighty task. The elders are committed to making sure that prayer and the proclamation of the word go forth. That's what the elder does. The deacons lead by serving they are the second level of church leadership beneath the elders, and they are focused on meeting the practical needs of the church. There is not a specific job list all throughout Scripture. We see them meet the needs of widows. We're going to see later in, in Timothy that maybe they're serving those widows. That's absolutely good and valid. But other commentators would say, well, they do the finances, they do the business side, they sweep, they mob, they serve tail. We don't see finances or business anywhere in Scripture, but those are practical needs of the church. So I think each congregation, each church kind of goes along with the elders. Hey, we need somebody to do this. Like I show up this morning and there's water all back there, like true story, because one of the refrigerators has leaked. And the deacon kind of comes in and goes, I got that. That's a piece of cake. You come in and, and nothing is spread out. No, nobody's at the door. Nothing's set up. And, and kind of that mindset of servanthood is that he can go and the, the elder needs to go pray. You focus on the prayer. You focus on the word. We're going to take care of this. So whatever needs to be done in the church in a very practical sense, that's what the deacon does. It might be serving tables. It might be running the business side of everything. But they do whatever they need to do so that the elders can do what must be done, which is a proclamation of the word and leadership. Here's what's happened, and here's why deaconess scares us. This is the truth. In many of our southern churches, I don't know about the north because I haven't really been up there a lot. What has happened, though, is that we've confused the role of deacon and elder. We believe that we have pastors and then elders and then, and then deacons. And deacons and elders get confused so that deacons are the chief leader of the church, and they hold the pastor accountable. They are actually, biblically speaking, they are listed second scripturally, and they are to be serving the church in a totally different way. They have complementary ministries that come alongside one another. Why? So that what we see in Acts is reality today, that the word goes forth and that the church continues to grow. So the reason that deaconess probably worries us is because we've seen deacons run the church. Elders run the church. And if you have a deaconess who's trying to fulfill the role of an elder, then it doesn't work. I would say you can't have a deaconess there. If the, if the deacons are elevated to the degree to where they make decisions for the church, you cannot have a deaconess because that's the role of the elder. But if you have a healthy structure, like what we see in Scripture, where you have biblically qualified men who are leading the church and deacons who are helping the elders lead the church in two totally different ways, then a deaconess can absolutely be so incredibly helpful and fruitful in the ministry but we've confused them. The difference is how they serve and how they lead. These two offices are absolutely biblical and essential because together they complement one another so that Christ's bride and body can grow in unity and maturity. We need elders, we need deacons for a healthy church. Listen to what Wearsby says though, because he's a smart fella. He says, quite a few leaders mentioned in the Bible were first tested as servants. 
Joseph was a servant in Egypt for 13 years before he became a second ruler in the land. Moses cared for sheep for 40 years before God called him. Joshua was Moses' servant before he became Moses' successor. David was tending his father's sheep when Samuel anointed him king of Israel. Even our Lord Jesus came as a servant and labored as a carpenter. And the apostle Paul was a tent maker, first a servant, then a ruler. That means that deacons can become elders. It's just a matter of what God calls them to do in that moment. All right, so what does this look like in cross life? This is, this is like some of the, the important stuff. What does it look like? First, we have not had any formally recognized deacons at this time. Why? It just has not been where we are as a church at that time. But Cross Life is growing. We're going to be adding, I believe, well, I'll touch on it here in a second. Let me just say Cross Life is growing. Not, I don't mean in numbers, but in, in depth, in breadth, in growth. Ministry is deepening. But we've been a young church, and it's better to have no deacons than the wrong deacons, just like it's better to have no elders than the wrong elders. We need time for the health and for people to be viewed. Second, we have had some deacons that though they have not been recognized, they've really been in a, a testing period where whenever we're ready, people are going to be like, oh, yeah, yep, that's them right there. They're already in this period of testing. They just didn't know it. Have fun with that phone call whenever I call you. Okay, third. I pray, I really do, I really pray this for us as Cross Life, that as we have preached very intentionally on elders two weeks ago and deacons today, that you Cross Life members have found yourselves thinking of those men and women who are exemplifying these qualifications. In your mind, you should be thinking, well, why isn't that person a deacon? Why is that person not an elder? So I'm going to encourage you to start craning your necks and spying on one another, basically. In love, in love. In other words... Be looking within congregation for those who can serve as deacons. Fourth, cross life has grown, y'all. By God's goodness and grace, it has grown and it has continued to grow, and that necessitates more leadership and help. The elders, we cannot do this on our own. We need deacons. Fifth, when we conclude Timothy in September, this is important, we will begin the discussion about how we will appoint and recognize new elders and new deacons. So I want you to be thinking on these things and be very mindful of those things. And lastly, this is more important than all of those. Because if you heard elders and deacons these last two weeks, do not neglect the, get this, the every believer ministry that we are all supposed to be participating in. Because what happens is, well, there's elders, they do this. There's deacons, they do this. I'll just kind of coast along. Y'all, church is not a spectator sport. Church is a participation in the body of Christ. If you are a member of a church and not participating in the life and the service and meeting the needs of the church, then you absolutely biblically must be. It is not right. If you are in any church as a member and you are not meeting the needs of the church, you're not serving one another and you're not participating in the life of the church. You must be. Compare it to this. If you go home and you sit on the couch and all of a sudden your leg falls asleep and it's numb and then you try to stand up and you fall down, it is kind of funny. Okay, like you feel like you go through. It is kind of funny. But you also know that in, the, in church life what tends to happen is members will let themselves go numb and nobody ever checks on them. And they're numb and they're dead and they're cold, sometimes by their own choice, sometimes because that's like just 
part of a trial that God has put them in. I'm telling you, that must be a tendency that we all contend with. There is an every believer ministry that must be occurring. It's biblical. It is not a spectator or serve me event. It is participation with fellow believers. And while that's going on, elders and deacons are serving in their roles. Final verses for you. First one's not a biblical verse, it's Martin Luther. This is for those who are feeling the weight of, okay, if I'm going to be a deacon or an elder, this is, there's no way I can do this. Listen to Martin Luther. For God will be working all things through you. He will be milking the cows through you and will be performing the most menial duties through you. And all duties, from the greatest to the least, will be pleasing to Him. You and I are completely insufficient to do what God has called us to do. Praise God, He's faithful. Look at 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 14 through 17. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. But thanks be to God who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession. You should underline the word always. Always triumphal procession. And through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of Him everywhere. Verse 15, for we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing to the one of fragrance from death to death to the other fragrance of life to life. And then Paul writes the most important question for you and me, who is sufficient for these things? That is a question that is heavy on me so many times. God, I, I, who, I, who is sufficient to do this? And, and how can I, well, I can't do this. And God's like, you're right. This will be fun. Watch what I do because you know you can't do it. Like, that's okay. Because look at, here's the confidence we need. It's in actually chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. It's the answer to that question. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 2. I'm sorry, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Paul says, who is sufficient for these things? I'm saying this to every believer, but I'm especially saying it to future deacons and future elders. Here is your answer to who is sufficient for these things. 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 4 through 6. Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything is coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God who has made us sufficient to be ministers of a new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, who is sufficient to do these things? Nobody. But Christ has made us sufficient. You can go fulfill your ministry this week, though imperfectly, because He has made you sufficient. Last passage, and then we'll close. Colossians chapter 1, verses 15 through 27. This is to every believer. This is a, definitely for those who are called to be deacons and elders in the future. Let's first fix with, on Jesus and then see that Jesus is in us. Colossians 1, 15 through 27. He, Jesus. Oh, this is amazing. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by Him, Jesus, all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through Him and for Him. And He is before 
all things and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body of the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he, Jesus, might be preeminent. For in him, Jesus, all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you believers, you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. Y'all, that's who we were. We were hostile in mind, doing evil deeds. He has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. Now look at verse 25. Paul writes, I became a minister according to the stewardship from God that was given to me for you to make the word of God fully known. Verse 26, that is the mystery hidden for ages and generations, but now revealed to his saints. Watch this, verse 27. To them, God chose to make known how great among the Gentiles are the riches of the glory of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. Do you know what the mystery that even David and Isaiah and Solomon did not know that was hidden for all ages that even angels desire, Peter says, to look into? You know what this great mystery is? Is it in verses 15 through, what would that be, 23? I'm sorry, um, goodness, where would that be? In 15 to 29, like the whole first part of this passage, there is this preeminent Christ who is above and for and created all things they were all created through him and for him and by him. And it's all for his glory and he's preeminent. And the mystery is, is that Christ is in you. That's the mystery that you and I forget. We tend to think it's Christ and me. I'm going to go do this and Christ is going to help me out. That's not the mystery of the gospel. The mystery of the gospel that keeps you and me going forward as every believer, as a deacon and as an elder, is that there's this great mystery for all the ages that was hidden that we now know and that that is Christ in you. The mystery of the ages that we glory in is it's not Christ and you. You add nothing to it. It is Christ in you. You can mother in a godly way because of Christ in you. You can lead, I'm sorry, you can, be, you can submit as a godly wife because of Christ in you. You can lead as a godly man because of Christ in you. You can be a deacon because of Christ in you. You can be an elder because of Christ in you. And you can go sweep the parking lot because of Christ in you. Because all that we do because of Christ in us is ministry to this world. We are lights in the darkness. So if you're sitting there thinking, there's no way I could ever be this. Do not neglect that Christ is in you. And that's the mystery that we hold to. I do remember whenever I was younger, being at First Baptist Charleston. And the only thing I knew about deacons is that they would go to the front and they would pray over the tithes and offerings and they would pass the plates and then they would go pray and they would serve the Lord's Supper. And I remember thinking even very clearly then that these must be godly men who are getting to do this. And I can very clearly remember thinking, I want to be a deacon someday. Like, I want to be a deacon. That would be an honor. It is an honor to serve as an elder. It is an honor to serve as a deacon. It is an honor to serve in the capacity that God has called you to. But you and I need women, and I'm sorry, men and women who exemplify such faith that their servanthood models for younger Christians what nobility there is in serving others in the church for Christ. Biblically understood then and grasped, the role of the deacon is thus. To be a deacon is to model today the humility of Christ as he served the disciples and others so that they may know the love of God for them. 
To be a deacon is to work alongside the elders by handling the temporal task of the church so that the elders can handle the eternal task of the church, preaching, praying, shepherding. To be a deacon is to be a servant to the saints. To be a deacon is to be a servant of the Lord. To be a deacon is, the last one, to fulfill a high, holy, honorable, and humble calling that exemplifies Christ who came not to be served, but to serve. So church, that's the qualifications of a deacon. I'm going to ask that as we, we close the word today, you pray for those whom God is drawing and equipping to be either deacons or an elder. Would they be bold enough to serve? Would they be humble enough to lead and trusting enough to walk in this that God has put before them? And also thank God for His goodness that He would equip men and women who love Him, love His Word, love others, and that He has equipped His church. But also just pray for one another. All of us have a ministry that He's called us to. We must be faithful. But pray for the leadership of Cross Life and for other churches in the community. We don't have this figured out, y'all. We're not the only church in town. We don't got a corner on the market of what it means to be a healthy church. We're in partnership with other churches who are called by God, who love Him, and we want to pray for their leadership and health as well. Let's pray. Lord, You are God. May we understand this and live to honor You. And Lord, next week as we consider how the church should interact with one another, or may we be humble enough to, and, and eager enough to run to that. Thank You that You've drawn us to Your side and that we are eternally yours. Thank you that we understand the mystery of Christ in us. Lord, we love you and praise our son's holy name. Amen.